Hey, this is Mark Kassoff, and this is RPM 45. Dave Mason is a singer, songwriter, guitarist who's done a ton in music. From his work with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame group Traffic, to his own successful solo career, to his work with some of the biggest names in the business. And despite the quarantine, he's still busy, about to release an updated version of his classic album, Alone Together. And he has a killer virtual video of his classic tune, Feeling Alright, which you can find on his website as well as YouTube. We talk about that first. I really enjoy your video, uh, your new version of Feeling Alright with the quarantines. Yes. That's pretty amazing. And you've got quite an all-star cast going there. Uh, we do. Michael McDonald and Sammy Hager and Mick Fleetwood. And oh my gosh, it's and fantastic. Brothers. How do you do it? How do you, how do you put all that together? I mean, you're not all in the same place. It's got to be kind of tough. Yeah, the weird thing is if it hadn't really been for uh, COVID or rather all this, you know, this sequestering away, it would have never gotten done. And in the meantime, everybody was kind of going, you know, man, you really should do some online shows and stuff. And so I just thought, well, you know, I wonder if um, we couldn't do a version of Feeling All Right with some friends. And uh, hard to screw that song up with two chords. Everybody knows it, for God's sake. And I thought, well, let me call everybody and see if they'd be up for doing it. And yeah, they were like, sure, man, we're great. Sort of, I put a basic little guide track down, and then that track got sent to John McVie, who put his parts, and Michael McDonald put his piano and vocals on it. Then Mick Fleetwood put his drums on it. Then uh, John Cowan put his bass on it. My drummer put the Kungers and stuff on it, and it was slowly built up like that. How long did that take? A couple of months, all in all. You know, I thought the video um, was really good, too. A uh, young man named Rob Arthur down in Nashville who's gotten very proficient at doing this video stuff. So Rob put all the visual footage together. That's, that's how this all got <laughs> put together. And the amazing thing is it actually comes out, I mean, it's got great energy for being done with everybody so separated. And do this song, I just sort of put a little smile on everybody's face. That was you funny. did. That's yeah. about everything I was trying to accomplish. <laughs> And you know what? It's so it's so weird how the mind works, because when I first started talking to your representative about doing this with you, I immediately went to your website and watched it and loved it. And then a couple of weeks or whatever go by. And in my mind, I'm thinking they all played together. And I said, I wonder how they did that. And then I watched the video again this morning. I realized, wait, they weren't together, but it had that feeling, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, Very cool. But- yeah, yeah. I mean, it came out great. Everybody, I mean, way better than I thought. For sure. Well, I want to talk about your new album, but but first I okay. want to talk about just you and your history and all that stuff, which is extensive. Apparently, uh, you taught yourself how to play? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can't read or write. Read or write music. Um, yeah. You've taught yourself how to play, and... Uh, I, I got this quote from you, which which is, uh, I'm a guitar player who sort of came to singing because I started writing. Okay, so now I've got to sing these things. Well, actually, no, it, it um, came to singing because when, you know, when I was 16, 17, if you got local gigs in the pubs or a little dance hall or whatever, I mean, you needed to be able to sing the current hits. So, so I was like, oh, okay, I, well, I think I can do that. 
Let's give it a shot. <laughs> so you were playing local bands, and then I guess you were with Spencer Davis. Is that the first uh, big band that you were with? No, I wasn't with Spencer Davis. Oh, I thought I you were. No, when um, myself and Jim Capaldi, you know, we had bands when we were, were younger before traffic. We'd all gotten to know Steve, and we all kind of hung out. And Steve was one is sort of tired of being with the Spencer Davis situation. It turned out that we kind of spent some time together. I sang on three Spencer Davis hits. Oh, okay. Uh, I sang on Somebody Help Me, Give Me Some Lovin', and I'm a Man. But I was just ha- hanging out. I was essentially a quasi-roadie for about two, three months. Yeah, and this is in England, of course. And when you talk about Steve, you're talking about Steve Winwood, who then leaves and starts Traffic. We all started. Well, the well, four of us started Traffic. And it's, it's interesting. Your Traffic uh, experience um, is sort of you were in and then you were out and then you were in again and then you were out. What, what was the story behind that? The first album, the Dear Mr. Fantasy album, I started writing <laughs> since I'm a you know, sort of somewhat upper class, middle class kid from the heartland of England with absolutely zero street smarts whatsoever or any life experience per se. You know, started writing these little songs and one of them was their biggest hit called Holding My Shoe, which is like, and then what happened was I was not prepared for what the success, the notoriety or whatever, however you want to put it, of becoming successful. I wasn't ready for it. It was a little too much for me and I left. What do you mean it was too much for you? How did that affect you? (laughs) Uh, I guess, I don't know. I mean, I never set out to be a rock star, okay? I set out to write some songs play some guitar, make some money, and meet girls. That's the priorities. I still don't like being up there in the center of attention. That's <laughs> So all that part of it to me was just, I couldn't, it's, you know, you, you get perceived differently in the way come at you with things because everybody's got their own interpretation of who and what they think you are. I, just for me, it was a little confusing and unsettling. Seems strange to say it, but that was the deal. And I couldn't deal with it, and I left. And feeling all right, was that on that first album? Is that right? No. After the the songs holding my shoe, which were somewhat fantasy songs, I like. I said, "Well, you know what? I need to focus on some writing here with with something with a little more a little more depth and meaning to it." Took off for Greece for a couple for about I don't know a couple of months to an island. And when I was there, that's when I wrote Feeling All Right. And it uh, started two or three or four other songs. And uh, then I met up with the guys in New York at the record plant. Um, we were all over in the States. And they were working on the second Traffic album. And they only, I was at the studio and they were like, well, we got five songs. And I'm like, well, shoot, okay, I, I got five songs here. I'm like, oh, okay, well, um, uh, I guess we're back together. <laughs> and then the, then again, I mean, I have somewhat of a pop sensibility. Um, I like all kinds of music, except rap. And more, 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 most of my stuff would get picked as a single. And somewhere down the line with all that, that created a problem for the other three. Uh-huh. But it wasn't a question of I left. I was not wanted after the second album. So I just uh, decided, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead where all this music started, i.e. America, and um, see what happens. And feeling all right, I, I have to admit, I always thought of it as a good time song. 
Uh, and yet, you know, really, I shouldn't have thinking of the lyrics, but, you know, it just has this energy to it and it's feeling all right. You know, I think well, it's that, a good well, that's song. thanks to Joe Cocker, because this, that's not what the song's about. <laughs> <laughs> right. And what it's about is? It's about not feeling too good myself. I mean, if the title has the original title is a question. It's a question mark. Ah, uh, right. okay. That's the original. And the original, if you listen to the traffic version, then you, you know. I sing it more. It's it's a little more down. And, and then Cocker got hold of it and whammo. <laughs> 50 cover versions later and God knows every bar band's played it probably and still plays it. Yeah, right. So, you know, I, so it's up for interpretation. <laughs> but you know what? I listened to the traffic version because I had never heard it. You do start kind of morose, but then you kick it up, you know. Yeah, no, we kind of kick it up as we go, but but the song essentially, like I said, it's about not feeling too good. <laughs> okay. And then you moved to the U.S. Yeah, and you've been in the U.S. ever since. Is that right? Uh, I have, yes. Are you an American citizen now? I am an alien resident. Pay my taxes, but they won't let me vote. Something's wrong with that. Oh, that, for sure. That's taxation without representation. Exactly. Yeah, not good. Yeah. So you you put out a number of albums. Your first solo is Alone Together. Yeah. The song uh, that we know all know from that is Only You Know and I Know. Pretty much. It was a single off Alone Together. I think it really kind of got to about number 40 or something for me. The album just sold a lot of albums. And then uh, Delaney and Bonnie covered Only You Know and I Know. I had a number two record with it. And then a number of albums later, uh, we have your biggest hit, We Just Disagree. Written by somebody else. Written by what was my guitar player, Jim Krieger. Passed away a few years ago. Great guitar player. And so that was a top 20 hit. Great song. Yeah, it's a, it's a great song. And uh, you have really played with a ton of people. The list of people that you played with is amazing. Could I give you some names and you give me just your first take on them? Try. Go ahead. Jimi Hendrix. Um, what do you say about him? There, is, there are no more Jimi Hendrixes. Great guitar players, but no more Jimi Hendrixes. And you played on All Along the Watchtower, which is my personal yeah, favorite. Yeah, I played on that and played, uh, sang on Crosstown Traffic. And there's two or three other record things I did with him, playing bass and sitar, but that I'm not, I don't really know what happened to them. Mama Cass. Cass yeah. Elliott. Graham Parsons, who I knew when I first came here and I stayed with for a month or so, dragged me around a couple of places. One of them was up to see Cass in Laurel Canyon. And it turned out there were a married couple that were actually living there that I knew that were really good friends from England. And so I spent a lot of time there uh, because of that. And through that, I became really good friends with Cass. You know, the, That album with me and Cass sort of came out more, it wasn't really a gotta make an album together that just sort of drifted out of us spending so much time and hanging out there and just you know what well, um, should we give this a try you know do something it was like yeah yeah why not it's an odd pairing but it surprised me yeah yeah uh, but uh, musically i'm i'm in a lot of different places which was a which is sort of was sort of a problem in my career in that there was I had no definitive musical style that people could hang their hat on, which is a problem for people, since people seem love to compartmentalize everything. Right, exactly. Um, what was she like? Cass? Yeah. 
Cass could have been the contemporary Sophie Tucker. That's who Cass was. She had a great sense of humor, and they kept putting her in these sort of light situations, you know, and the fat girl and whatever. She had a great sense of humor. Bawdy, raucous, and intelligent. So, yeah, I always looked at this like, these people are just doing this all wrong. This is not who this girl is. Oh, uh, that's too bad. Yeah. yeah. You played with the Rolling Stones. I played on Street Fighting Man. Derek and the Dominoes? I was with Derek and the Dominoes when they originally started. But then I, I just came back to the States. Uh, you were on All Things Must Pass, George Harrison's album. I am on something on All Things Must Pass. I really can't which, because there were so many people at some of those sessions that I don't really remember. Oh, uh, okay. George, I, George I, I, I knew not, not extremely well, but enough to... Uh, have him give me my first, you know, sitar to learn on and uh, spend an afternoon with him at his house listening to Sergeant Pepper. McCartney. McCartney I'd met through a girlfriend I was with who was a designer, pretty brilliant designer. He was designing a couch for McCartney. It was supposed to be a transparent couch with all the characters from Sergeant Pepper in it. And he came by the studio when that's how I met him. And then I'd subsequently, you know, I occasionally would go over to his house, sometimes go down to Abbey Road. And that just happened. It was on Listen to What the Man Said. I was playing a show in New Orleans. The Wings were down there recording. Graham Nash. Well, Nash I've known since the Hollies. When tours, the Hollies, Traffic, The Who was one tour. I've known Graham since then. Donovan. <laughs> Don, I, yeah, I, 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 I play on a couple of things. I kind of forget about I, I can't remember specifically what it was, but. He's still with us, isn't he? Yeah. We share the same birthday. We haven't heard from him in forever. I know. I would love to talk to him. Yeah, why not? I'm sure you can find him. Um, this surprised me, and maybe it's not accurate. Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson sang on a song uh, called Save Me. And we were in the same studios. He was in one room. I was in the other. I had the song and I needed somebody to sing a high part on it. And I'm like, you know what? Maybe Michael, let me go ask him if you'd do this. And they were on a, they were on a break and I was standing in the doorway and I said, hey, Michael, I'm Dave Mason. And I said, oh, I, and, uh, I said, listen, I got this tr- song I'm working doing and it really needs, I need somebody to sing this really high part. I can't get up there. Would you be up for doing it? And he sort of looked at me and said, yeah, absolutely. Of course, I'll come do it. And of course, you were with Fleetwood Mac for two years. And I was with Fleetwood Mac. for. A and were you replaced uh, Lindsey Buckingham? Uh, <laughs> I don't know really what we replaced. It was me, Billy Burnett, Becca Bramlett. Christine McVie did the album, but wouldn't go on the road. I love Mick, but it was it was a little somewhat torturous at times. Yeah, it was interesting. Mick and I are still really good friends. The new album now, you, you've, you've redone Alone Together, and it's called Alone Together Again. Yeah. Same songs entirely. Is that it? Yes, it is the same songs. There's a different version of World and Changes. But there's also the same arrangement that was originally done. I mean, most of the reason I did it was doing this in the first place was really just purely for my own amusement. And I started doing this over 10 years ago. And mostly because I didn't really... Because... My idea of a singer is like Marvin Gaye, Sam Cooke, Mahalia Jackson. When it comes to me singing, I'm like, eh. and I was young then, and I just couldn't, I didn't like the, I just was like, eh. I've had a thing about that. So that was part of redoing it for me. 
Um, and also the fact of those tracks that I did on the original album, which are great. There's this great, great little moments in there. And I had great players. Kind of like that retrospect here, what I realized was if I'd had those guys on the road for a month playing those songs every night, as good as Alone Together was, there'd have been a different energy on it. It would have been just that much better. That's what's in this new one. You know, it's, it's basically my live band. So there's a great, really great energy in there. I pretty much was not meaning to put it out. It was just merely for my own amusement. Uh-huh. But you are putting it out. Well, it came out so well. And then we have the 50th anniversary this year. Just thought, well, you know, what the hell? Why not? <laughs> Maybe somebody will rediscover this album. Maybe some young people would pick up on it and get it. Who knows? That'd be very cool. And of course, it's a CD. It's streamed on Shelter Records. They have the digital rights. I uh, had the CD and vinyl. So it'll be mostly through my website for CDs. And then the, the vinyl, which I'm working on at the moment, to get done will be like the original. And the jacket is to fold out like the original. And the, the CD is multicolored like the original. Everyone that they do multicolored will, will be uniquely different like the original. Because there's no controlling the colors in the press. They all come out different, every single one. Who else puts the CD and vinyl out? I don't know. I don't know if there is anywhere anymore these days. That whole side of what I do is destroyed. Which part? I don't understand. Everybody's stealing the music. <laughs> what are you not getting? What was a three, four million selling album sells about? 20, 30,000 albums. Yeah. Okay. Got it. That's a whole side of our life that's, that's being taken. Our work. It's like going to work and not getting paid. And you can cut all this out if you want the sour grapes. I don't really care. No, no, no. I'm, I'm interested. It's an issue for all of us, for every, every musician there is. If you, you know, want to say, well, you know, all these rock stars are super rich and they're this and they're that and they're, yeah, a little handful are. But for a writer, for instance, if a writer wants to make, let's say he's going to make a couple of million dollars, okay, off a hit song. You know, do you have any idea how many downloads that is? I don't. It's 750 million. Oh, my God. Because they're not paying the, the one, they're not paying the right mechanical royalties. And so, yeah, for writers, um, especially songwriters, it's, you know, it's, it, you can't say I'm a songwriter and this is great and I write great songs and that's all I'm going to do. What I'm left with is what I started with, which is the road. They haven't figured that one yet, although they are working on those 3D shows. So eventually... <laughs> <laughs> Holograms? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> so eventually <laughs> we'll be replaced too. <laughs> well, you want it to travel. There's that. No, you know what? I, I have doing this. I've learned a lot about the plight of the artists and how artists don't make the money that we think they do and all oh that. But you've added to my education today. That's okay. Uh, you, you've, you've you can me take all of this out, by the way. No, I think this is very uh, important stuff. Same with shows. There was diversity of music on the stage as opposed to now, which is, you know, everybody, it's, it's, it's so compartmentalized and homogenized. And also radio. Radio is where you got turned on to new stuff. With DJs. Hey man, check this out, check this out. I know, I used to be one. 
It's not the the problem is is that there's nobody home anymore. It's just somebody you know goes sticks a card in and goes out back, drinks coffee and smokes cigarettes for half an hour, comes back in the commercial, and that's it. And there's nobody home. There's nobody there. Well, literally. Uh, because I've worked with radio stations quite a bit in my career, when they changed the rules and allowed one big company to own hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of radio stations, that literally you could shoot a gun down a hallway of some radio stations and hit nobody because they cut back tremendously. I mean, I could I could go on this rant with you if you want. <laughs> exactly. It's just, you know, it's, well, we don't need, just to get rid of that, we cut that off the budget line. Oh, yeah. Cut, cut, but cut, the cut. Problem is, but the thing is, see, I have a theory about why talk radio is, is so big. Mostly because there's somebody there. Everybody likes to sit there and, you know, scream back at the rate. What's, what are you talking about, you moron? You know, there's interaction. Even though you're not directly talking to somebody, you can interact because there's a human voice, you know. Yes. So, yeah. <laughs> well, the world changes, you know, whether we like yeah, it or not. But is it for the better? Change for the sake of change is not necessary. No, I can tell you with radio, it definitely was not for the better. And uh, you know that yourself. So there you go. Yeah, I do. You know, because people are constantly asking, are you writing new songs? you write new songs? And I might, to, the, to my answer is to them, it's just, but you understand, it's an exercise in futility. Unless I'm just doing this for purely my own amusement. There's nobody there to expose it anymore. Yeah, it's just, it's kind of, it's just weird. It's like music is just, oh, it's just music. It just grows on trees. <laughs> what do you like out there now? I have no idea. I have no clue. I have... I blatantly sit here and admit I have no idea. What am I listening to? I'm listening to Mahalia Jackson, Sam Cooke. Great singer. Great songs. There's still great songs. I mean, music is, there is no old music to me. It's either just good music or it isn't. All right. Well, listen, uh, anything else uh, you'd like to talk about? I'm way uh, open. Any topic, whatever. Tips, recipes. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> anything else you'd like to promote? Well, no, the, the CD, I suppose, is the main thing that's coming up in November. It's slated for a November 20th release. The only the other thing is, is a book. We're working on that, but only you know and I know. Well, thank you for doing this today and taking the time. I appreciate it. You too. Thank you. Thank you, Dave Mason. What a great guest. He held nothing back, right? Uh, and thanks to you, we'll be back next week with another episode of RPM 45.